So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in the world. Welcome to the 2M podcast, <laughs> which is a conversation between two seasoned journalists with a combined experience of 40 years. My name is Julie Masiga, and with me is... Clay Muganda. Oh, and this week we are talking about a topic which is very close to our hearts or to everybody's heart. We are going to talk about the media or the media madness and the Kenyan's culture of blame game. So there is no single day that actually the Kenyan media does anything that is not scrutinized. And most of the time after the scrutiny, it is always found that the media were wrong. Sometimes you might feel that the readers or the viewers or our audience are, be, are being unfair. But is it really true? Does the media fail or is the media also just a victim of circumstances? Uh, in the process of understanding this, we will also talk to Patrick Gadara, who is a journalist by training and is also a cartoonist and one of the biggest critics of uh, the media in Kenya. Uh, Ms. Masiga... Uh, for me, I mean, it's been all, I've always defended the media and I've always felt like sometimes you're being attacked unfairly. But at the same time, I'm alive to the fact that there are places where we go wrong. And um, I know where we go wrong, and I believe most journalists know that, and even media managers do know that. But at the same time, I feel that uh, most of our, the audience do not understand some of the challenges we face or... Um, they think that it is all smooth sailing and they don't, or probably they just don't want to understand that actually we have all these problems and we are also just uh, victims, of circum- victims of circumstances. W- what's your thought? My thought is that for majority of the time, uh, Kenya's media and the press does a good job. I think we have quality journalists, we have seasoned journalists, Uh, we know how the systems work, the systems work like a very well-oiled machine, that's why you always get your paper in the morning, no matter what happens, that's why your news is always on at 7pm and 9pm, no matter what happens, that Uh, means... I I mean, uh, this thing somebody asked like, don't you ever wonder that no matter what happens in 24 hours, it always fits in a newspaper. Exactly, (laughs) you know, there's nothing as certain as a newspaper, death and taxes. Anyway, so I think many things are going right, but there are a few glaring things that go wrong, and then that's what causes the the, the general blanket uh, condemnation of the media at large, right? So I think we do have issues with quality. People often pick out typos and such grammatical errors and even contextual and substantive errors in the papers. Um, We have those issues, but media around the world deal with such issues, and we could get better at that, but I would still not say that we are a hopeless case altogether. We're actually above average. Uh, we also have a situation where we tend to have the same news sources coming on different programs saying the same things. Like you like to say, Clay, you have lawyers speaking about being political pundits. Then you have doctors talking about 
uh, what do you, virology, you know, there tends to be like a, a, a steady stream of the same faces on TV talking about everything of which none of them are really experts on. So more work could be put into identifying a more diverse base of people to come and analyze issues on television. And then obviously there's a big elephant in the room, which is corruption. The brown envelope journalism is not a myth or a legend. It is a fact. And this is something that we need to self-reflect and think around because as agenda setters, we cannot let private interests, commercial or political, uh, dictate how stories are being told. Having said all those things, I will still maintain that 75% of the time, which is way above uh, uh, half, mm -hmm. clearly, 25% above 50%. Uh -huh. But for a lot of the time, we're actually doing a good job. We're uncovering stories that are not being told. We're shining a spotlight on cases of uh, misgovernance, if there's a word like that, poor governance. We're shining a light on cases where of the marginalized and the underserved, you know, we're uncovering like huge corruption scandals. So I think that we, on a, on a scale, on, on the balance of probabilities, we're not in a bad place. Of course, we could do much better. Okay, fine. That, uh, that's true. But uh, at the same time, the people would not agree. I mean, because there's always this blanket condemnation. Right. Because nothing actually makes sense. Nothing from any newsroom makes sense to... They don't see like it, it's, it's, it's got any sense in it. But at the same time, they tend to... When uh, most of these corruption stories are actually unearthed by the media, people react. Mm. And so that's why sometimes I feel like the blanket condemnation, at times they, they forget too fast. Yeah, because they can say the media is not doing enough or rather, let me correct this, the media are not doing enough, but at the same time, there's so many scandals that actually Kenyans get to know about because of the media. Mm. Okay, fine. You talked about brown envelope journalism, mm -hmm. which, yes, it exists, but you see, this is probably, I think, a societal problem because uh, people have given very many reasons why they probably think that uh, people, uh, journalists accept bribes or because they're not well paid and all that. But I think corruption, it's not about somebody being poor. The people actually who are still corrupt in this country, but they're filthy rich, you know? Okay, I, I have, okay, I kind of half agree with you, but you cannot throw everything back to, so it's a societal no, 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 problem. I, I'll tell you, I'm not doing that. I'm <laughs> actually admitting, and I'm not, uh, what I'm saying is, yes, there are bad apples, okay? okay. There are so bad apples. So you cannot actually say, you've actually said 75% of what happens in the newsroom, what the media do, is good. So fine, let's say that 25% uh, is the brown the, the, brown brown the brown envelope journalism. The brown apples. The brown apples. <laughs> I mean, actually, there's also yellow journalism, which sometimes we've been accused of. Right. But, uh, okay, when it comes to that idea of that thing of brown uh, brown envelope journalism, that's, um, uh, uh, when I spoke to Gadara, that's one thing about ethics. That's one of the things, Gadara called it, uh, that we have an ethical problem. So probably, may, let's listen to Gadara. Yes, I think it is uh, uh, an, uh, an ethical problem. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, and by that I mean that not just in the sense that they report what didn't be reported, don't think it uh, in that narrow sense, you know, but in the sense of understanding what your obligations are to your common man, to your fellow man, mm -hmm. to your audience, you know, um, to the nation, you know, um, and I think that a lot of time that is out of kilter, so they are, they are focused on delivery. Um, uh, for their for their um, uh, owners, for their managers, but not so much 
I think, for the audience. And not just asking what will fit today, but what does the audience actually need? What is it that Kenyans fought for when they were fighting for freedom of press? What is it that they thought the press would give them? What did they want the press to give them? And I think our media doesn't really engage seriously with that question and then to understand the obligation that it actually has. Um, they are very quick, I think, to dismiss it. Okay, so here's a case where um, we're not very much in touch. You can say that the Kenyan media, or you're saying that the Kenyan media is not very much in touch with the needs of the audience or their readers or their viewers or just definite, or generally the Kenyan people. No, I'm saying they're not in touch with their obligation yeah, but to, those, those, but the to, obligation. Those, to that audience. So that uh, sense of obligation that we owe the audience something, mm. you know, um, uh, rather than almost that like we're doing them a favor, we're entertaining them, you see, you know, is what I find lacking. And by the way, it's not just Kenyan media, it's lots of media around the world, you know, because I think if they took their job much more seriously and they sat down and, and looked at how they report, and they would then be asking, what is the impact of our reporting? If we end up, for example, with plenty of reports on BBI, but when you ask a normal Kenyan, he doesn't know what it is, the media would be asking, where are we failing in that? You know, what are we meant to be doing? What is the purpose of what we are doing? So when Kenyans fail to understand probably what is coming from the state or from the politicians, it is the media's mistake. Um, not what's coming from the state. The Kenyans fail to understand the situation there in how the the, the 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 state is behaving. You know what the state is demanding of them. You know whether that is something that they should engage with. You know um, to under to contextualize themselves within this. This is what having information means. If we, as we say, a democracy is meant to be about um, a citizenry, an informed citizenry that can make decisions. You know, yet we don't seem to have that citizenry. And we've got to ask, how are they supposed to get informed? Isn't this why they fight to have a media? Isn't this why they insist on the constitution that this is the only industry they are going to protect? You know, so when that industry is not then delivering mm -hmm. this, surely for people who are ethical, they would sit down and ask, you know, where are we failing? Why are we unable to do this? You know, and then start changing the way they are doing things. As it is today, I think our media is so narrowly focused on their um, profitability and uh, um, keeping their jobs in essence, that they forget the whole purpose of why that industry exists and is actually protected by the power, collective power of Kenyans and citizens around the world. According to Patrick, or rather you guys, you people call him Gadara, I call him Patrick. Uh, he says that the media falls short because of this, uh, as you've had, because of this, um, they, they fall short to meet their obligations to the people. But at the same time, you have to understand the environment in which we work. Not everything is smooth. Not everything is, uh, is um, 
smooth sailing. Not everything goes according to our way, the way we want it. And actually, there's also by by environment that we work in. I mean, things like there's some legislations, actually, there's some laws that are made that actually are detrimental to the growth of media. And those are some of the things that we never want to talk about. Probably, and the times when I blame the media for this, because I come from a background of my media, my journalism training, where the media is very strong, that actually they play a very big part in some of the legislation that can actually affect the media. But here, sometimes I feel that the media entities, and that is us, we are not strong enough to challenge the status quo or to challenge the establishment. We actually sit back as a fourth estate and we are given laws that this is what you people have to work with. But we don't actually participate in the formulation of these laws because, um, and I think that's where sometimes it makes, we created this bad environment that actually we work in. I don't know how you think about it, but that is my thought. And that even as I defend the media, and that's what I meant. I mean, when I say that I know, we know where our shortcomings are. Right. When you speak about laws, I think that there's been quite some pushback against restrictive laws. Um, I'm not remembering the exact names of the laws right now. I think there was the Cyber Crimes Act. There was the Kenya Information and Communications Act. There was the security amendment laws that were... When, when when they were proposed, I know some of them were passed, although there have been some amendments. There was a lot of pushback from the Media Council of Kenya, the Kenya Union of Journalists, the Kenya Editors Guild. So in as much as they didn't get to participate in the formation of those laws, they do, they do speak up when the time comes, when they are faced with these restrictive legislations. At the same time, I don't think that we have, we have, I think we have quite the, 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 the freedoms that we we enjoy as journalists are as 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 so good today, much better than they were um, in previous years. I know there's still room to grow, and there are some things that people must understand that media just cannot say because of the political environment. And then you have to also have to take into account the economy, which is your favorite word, Clay. The economy. <laughs> no, uh, I, you're accusing me. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just picking. I'm just picking up from from where you left off. Mm-hmm. And for example, by the end, by September 2020. After one year of COVID, at least 600 journalists had been laid off. At least 600. Most mm-hmm. of us had had our pays slashed because the, the excuse was everybody is suffering from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. We were also exposed to the uh, virus because we were on the front lines working. And then even before all this happened, it was not that journalists were being paid a million dollars, right? The pay was not that good. Yeah. And then compounding those issues, you also think about digit, did, digit, this gets digitization. Me that one. Where when t- slowly and steadily moving from traditional media into the new media space, and we have to scramble to reorganize and converge so that we don't lose relevance. For example, printed newspapers or people watching news on TV. We're moving into people watching news on Twitter, on their phone, reading the newspaper on their computer. So these are challenges that uh, the profession faces and doesn't normally talk about or complain about at the same time being held to the same standards that you are being held to when things were relatively better than they are today. Okay, fine. You mentioned previous years and you're saying that uh, we now enjoy more freedoms than they used to enjoy previous previously. Yeah. That's true. But at the same time, you always hear people say like, oh, journalists of your, journalists of yesteryears were better than mm. today's journalists. Mm. So I, I, I feel this is, I fail to understand like, okay, fine. They never enjoyed as much freedom then 
but they were doing this wonderful job. I think they're doing it in terms of uh, the craft. The craft of journalism, I think, has been watered down from generation to generation. I'll give an example of our parents. Okay, you say you're old, Clay, so I don't know (laughs) when your parents... But my parents, my dad is 81 and he, when, they, when when anybody who's above the age of 75 speaks about the early years of independence, they will tell you how systems worked wonderfully. They were living in a country they were happy to live in and there was so much attention to uh, the the integrity of your craft, the quality of your work, your work ethos. People were just wanting and had been trained to do a stellar job all the time. I would say over the years in our profession as journalists, that uh, integrity of the craft has been watered down to the extent that you would feel that even though they were working in an oppressed environment previously, they were, very, they were more focused on the beauty and the art. Exactly. I mean, uh, to an extent, that's true. But you see also the problem is we should be mentoring the old us should be mentoring these young people and they should be ready. I mean, you should, you, but you can only be mentored if you are mentorable, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, able to blame if you, somebody. If you're mentorable, again. You know, oh. if you're mentorable, then you can be mentored. Uh, I mean, uh, I, was, I, I, I managed to listen to the inaugural memorial lecture of Philip Ochieng and some of the things that actually, one of the things that Philip was credited for was this being a stickler to, is it a stickler to detail or for detail? Stickler for detail. For detail, you know? Mm-hmm. And being this some, something that right now, if you're to tell a young journalist or somebody coming into the newsroom, they would probably feel like you're being petty, you know? So yes, things have changed, you know? So while we want to cha- to blame uh, the people in the newsroom or the journalists in the newsroom and probably say like the older generation, and I'm not that old, I am old, yes, but I'm just one generation older than these people, our current uh, crop of readers, is that the whole problem of why are people not willing to learn? Why do they think that when you try to tell them something like that is an old way of doing things? What is this new way? So basically, the craft has been watered down. And it's not just this one alone, because the example you've given of your dad, everything used to work across board, you know, in hospitals, which public hospitals or private hospitals, in the media houses, whether they were private or public, you know, so things used to work generally. So is it because our, is it that our, our morals are, are the ones that have been eroded and it's fallen back to the media space also? The media is also just in this big morass, you know? I think uh, the, the media is definitely a reflection of the society it operates in. So we can't turn away from the fact that what, you, what you're seeing, what you're reading, what you're hearing is a reflection of what, of you what's happening in your spaces, which is not to absolve uh, the press of guilt. I mean, yeah, absolve them of guilt because they have a higher duty of care than the, the man or woman on the streets because they have raised themselves up as this fourth estate and this, uh, this uh, provider of verified information, education, entertainment, ETC. Mm. So obviously you can come right back down to that. But when you talk about people who are not mentorable, I think about myself with a seven-year-old child. What we've done is we've taken away the responsibility to live independently away from this generation. You know, we do a lot of stuff for them. Mm-hmm. We spoon-feed them. For example, Claire, you're very aware, like both of us have worked in a newsroom. Yeah. You will get copy. Copy is a story which you can barely comprehend yourself. 
Yes, and that's why I say I kill stories, not dreams. Okay, okay you fine. kill our stories. Me, <laughs> me, I nurture dreams and okay. I don't like to kill stories. Anyway, <laughs> so what you'd normally, typically do because the paper has to go to press is that you will take that mass of unintelligible words and turn it into a story for the paper that people will even shangar at how well that story has been written. Despite the fact that the copy you got was just terrible. So that's enabling. Ideally, like you say, because you kill stories or you try and make them better, you should send them back and mentor them into better storytelling. Yeah, that's what I mean by uh, I, I kill stories, not dreams. Yeah. So yes, I will tell you that this story is not publishable. So that story will die. But at the same time, I will tell you, this is what you need to do to make a story publishable. Right. I don't tell you like, never write. Right. But you see, there's also that tough love, which listening to what everybody has been saying after Philip Cheng died, I think it's that kind of tough love that is missing in our newsroom now. But you mentioned also that the public have a role, or, um, and that's something that actually Gadara also says. You, you said that the public, not the public have a role per se, but that... Um, the media is a reflection the, of the society. Of, of the society, yeah. So for it to grow also, it actually needs a lot of help from the society also. If the society thrives, the media will thrive. And this is what also Gadara uh, has a word on. Let's listen in. Yeah. And we probably say that some of the progress that the media can make in Kenya is impeded by the economy or the economic situation. Um, I think it is beyond that. I think there is um, a sense in which the economy does, I mean, does impede. Um, the ability to, to 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 do as much as they probably would uh, would otherwise. So if you take the example of um, uh, the ability to pay for um, in-depth uh, reporting, you know that is there is an economic cost to it, you know. And I think even the the public has to acknowledge that, and we've got to be able to find ways where the public is asked, you know. Um, uh, to fund uh, the, the uh, 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 investigative reporting and that sort of thing so that they actually get the information they want. Sure, I mean, of course, I, I completely accept that um, there are economic um, uh, considerations here and the way we have actually set it up perhaps is itself um, a bit problematic when we have, in essence, we have privatized what is a public uh, service. You know, and it doesn't seem that um, uh, it works at least perfectly. Um, uh, in that sense, there might be tweaks that we need to have uh, to the system to ensure that um, uh, people can, I mean, the media can do the, the job that we we are giving it. Um, th th I mean, the other thing is to also, if, if, if we are to consider um, who the media is talking to, if you talk, look at our newspapers, you know, if if on a good day, they don't sell, you know, to more than, what, a quarter of a million people. You know, this is in a, a country where you've got 50 million people, you know. So we've got to then ask, you know, if we want information to reach citizens in plural, all of them, to have access to this, you know, how do we do it? You know, um, uh, and, and, and still maintain not sort of an apartheid or a, a caste system where only the rich or people who can afford it get the news. You know, and we, we need to really think about it. And, 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 and I would say it's not just the media themselves who are failing. I think as, an, as, as a country, 
um, uh, other society, we have not sat down and figured out how does do we make this work for everybody, you know, rather than just for a few people. So, uh, just uh, in conclusion, what do you think is the way forward, or is is can the, can the media be redeemed, or it is redeemable, irredeemable, or uh, is there a way that actually things can work? What is the way that what is that way that through which well, things can work? I, I mean, my proposal would be um, uh, along two or three fronts. Um, the first is there has to be a discussion. And this is a societal discussion about the role the media is meant to play, you know. Um, uh, and that has to be across the board, you know. Everybody sort of gets a voice and you come in and we say, this is why we protect the media. This is why we, you know, um, we, we want that industry. The second thing is the shape that industry should take, you know. Um, and let's talk about it. I think one of the major, major things which we really need to discuss is public funding for, for public goods. So how do we publicly fund the media? And this is not about um, uh, the government making decisions or government funding. No, public funding, pub independently sourced public money that goes directly to supporting media enterprises. You know, so then they can give us the news that we want. And the third thing, the final thing would be um, uh, about ethics and more in-depth, uh, more sustained ethical training for journalists so that they are constantly aware about what, um, the, the, of, of, of the obligations they have. You know, they're constantly aware of what they owe to their audience, what they owe to their various benefactors, to their various associates, you know. Um, and I think if you had that, uh, you would probably end up with a much more, um, uh, a much, uh, a state where people are much more pleased with the, what the media gives out. There's also this thing that, um Kenyans always think that actually there's not much that goes in before a story appears on air, before a story is broadcast or a story is um, is uh, is printed. We tend to think that the story comes from the reporter straight to the paper. And at the same time we do, when there's a mistake, we do blame these editors and say like, oh, where was the editor? So and so should design and all that. But actually there's one thing people don't, sometimes probably they don't, they've never understood is that for a story to get to the paper, it goes through like six or seven hands. Actually, the editor, the chief editor, as we call them, or the editorial director, does not read all the stories, does not go through all the stories all the time. But because of the process that works 75% of the time, Julie, okay, <laughs> the thing that comes out is just as good as what, I mean, as it could have come out when the chief editor looked at it. And I, when I was mentioning this, I kept on using a lot of he, 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 he. I mean, there are also she's in the newsroom and in the media also. Though, yes, the representation might not be as much as it should be or it's not 50-50 or 75-25 compared to the men. But there's definitely she and that's why even in 2M podcast, we have Miss Masiga. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 50-50. <laughs> yeah, it's 50-50. But in the newsroom, it's, especially in the top leadership of the newsroom, women are few and far between. 
I mean, there are so few women at managing editor level. I don't think there's any woman at CEO, CEO level um, in terms of managing the entire media house, is there? No, uh, right now there isn't. But yeah. uh, they've been, I think they've been uh, quite a number, uh, there've been quite a number of um, women in Kenyan media at very, at quite high positions. I'm sure you, mostly, can, you can mostly, count them on two hands. Yes, mostly journalistic positions, right. not to that level of CEO of a media house and stuff. Or like managing that. editor or, or editor-in-chief. Yes, some years, ago, some years ago, there was a big story. Uh, I forget this young lady, this lady's name, but I've, I worked with her at some point. She was the first managing editor of a Sunday newspaper and it was big news in Kenya. Was it Pamela Sitoni? No, Pamela Sitoni is much younger. Oh, okay. Yeah, Pamela Sitoni came much later. Uh, this was, I think, during in the in the nineties, and it was she was a managing the first managing editor of a of a of a of a newspaper. She was managing editor of the Sunday Standard. Right, but you yeah. see, even how you're framing the thing is like the first female managing editor. Once you start saying first female anything, clearly you know that there are not enough women in I, that space. Th that's very true. That's very yeah. true. But um, having said that, I mean, like this is something that actually it makes me happy because. I, I I first had a male boss, I think, less than five years ago. That was my first time to have a male boss. Because all through, even when where I studied my journalism, my boss was a woman. Then when I came to Kenya now, I worked with some of the best female journalists, women journalists this country has ever produced. That is Lucio Riang and Dorothy Kweyu. Then from there, actually, when I moved now to a, a big newsroom, even then, my boss, I, I had three different bosses, say for a short stint when I had a male boss. I had three different bosses and all of them were women. Until when I left and I went to the magazine, it was also women. So yes, I see a lot of young ladies, actually young women, doing great things in the media and all that. And yes, they do all these great things at the same position. Or they don't they, rise, or they rise laterally. They, they rise laterally. laterally, yes. But they do great things and stuff like that. So when it comes to this management bit, I am not very qualified to speak. But maybe you can have a word. I mean, you can have some. You maybe you have something to say about why you think that uh, you are not very many in these high positions. Well, obviously, Claire, I'm going to use the the second word that you hate the most in the history of words, the <laughs> patriarchy. <laughs> We're living in a country where the, the 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 scales are tilted towards male leadership, right? And that's reflective in the newsroom as well. And obviously, the newsroom is not a very it's not an easy environment. It's very fast paced. You work late hours. There's a time I used to work a shift from 12 p.m. in the afternoon to about 10 p.m. or 11.30 at night. Hmm. So that kind of situation might not be the easiest for mothers, whether they're married or single. So it's a hard environment, which doesn't mean that women can't crack it. We can. But of course, we're dealing in a, we've come into a space which is male-dominated. So that means that uh, just a cursory, cursory glance hmm. at the leadership of, let's just take standard and nation, in the top echelons of leadership, women are not that well. In fact, they're very poorly represented. And then there's also how women are treated, how women are reported about, you know. Uh, for example, the other day, what was it? What was happening? What was happening? I don't know if it was a BBI vote or whatever. And uh, a senator, I can't even remember the senator was from where. I think Senator of Nyeri, she called... Uh, is it Waruguru? Not Waruguru. What's uh, that? No, I, I, I can't remember her name now. Anyway, she's a, a woman in leadership. And woman, woman representative. Uh, yeah, a very... She's Catherine. in Catherine. Was it Catherine? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think she's called Catherine. Anyway, let's just say she was a woman in top political leadership, and then somebody snapped a photo of her. She was wearing wearing a very nice dress. It was kind of short, and she was wearing her heels and carrying her bag. And then they just plastered the picture there and put some caption of she's attending an event. And I'm like, okay, there must have been other people who attended this event. But the whole the whole tone of the thing seemed like, okay, look at her, look at her and how she looks. Uh, almost discounting the fact that she's a senior political leader. So I'm saying the way women are treated in the news because they're also being reported on by a majority male workforce tends to be sexist to some extent or to objectify them or to take away their achievements and focus on their, their bodies, right? And then there's also the, the idea of how many women get to contribute on news programs. How many women are called to the studio to talk about political analysis or to talk about scientific discovery? There are very many women in all these spaces, but it tends to be uh, it tends that the the floor tends to tilt towards men, and more men get on air or get in newspapers to comment about things, despite the fact that women are fifty percent of this population. And then there's well, actually fifty two. Imagine so even that two percent extra we should be represented. And then there's finally clear there's the sexism in the newsrooms. There's just outright sexism. In newsrooms, a sexual, not sexism, sexism and sexual harassment, you know, as a woman, you find yourself in situations where a boss wants you to do something or even a colleague talks to you in a funny way or somebody smacks you, smacks you on the butt or somebody makes a, a, a comment that is just unsavory. And these are the, this is the environment in which female journalists are operating in. Which is not to say that they are not excellent. They are, but I think they should be given extra points for being excellent in such a limiting environment. Okay, fine. It's um, uh, it's it's true that actually um, some of the things that you mentioned um, impede women's growth in the media, in the media or in the newsrooms. Uh, when it comes to coverage, also, I think probably that's where maybe the media needs much more education. That uh, look at Catherine, the women rep, as a woman rep, not basically because, or look at her as a political leader, you know, basically because of how she's she, dressed, she's or dressed, because she's see? female. But I think also, uh, probably people, uh, it's it's not uh, something that you probably learn in the newsroom to look at a woman that way and see the woman and don't see her qualities, but see her dress or her looks. I think it's something that probably we learn before we even get to the newsroom because even if it's not done there, and probably it's this particular photo that you're mentioning, I'm very sure there are people out there probably who liked it. Or probably, I mean... Yes, yeah. but I keep on saying that we should be held, journalists should be held to a higher standard of care because which they're speaking for which population. I, I don't refuse, right. I don't refuse. I, I fully agree with you. Mm. I fully agree with you. But you see, my point is that some of these biases, we bring them from out there. And can I talk about that bad apple again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much seventy-five percent. As you, I'm using your figures, your statistics. <laughs> okay, those were just anecdotal evidence. Seventy-five so percent of us mm-hmm. are quite good, and we understand some of these things. So there's that one mistake that actually goes through that kind of that photo that you mentioned. Uh, okay. Does, yeah. In that uh, but, in that sense, I would not say that's a mistake. I would say that is systemic, okay. systemic in how women are covered. Yeah, but okay. This I, I think uh, this is very true. There's a tilt. There's some kind of coverage, and you mentioned also that uh, they're not brought in so much to as, as new post, sources, as, as new sources, and all that. Right. I I, th- I don't think this is just a Kenyan problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a Kenyan problem because that's why you find that internationally, um, 
many of the men, many of the people who walk into those analysis rooms and all that tend to be men in internationally most media houses and then you find that when there's a magazine to do with fashion entertainment you'll always find like oh it is headed by a woman it is headed by a woman so there's this segmentation that has actually been done by mankind you know we by should man. Be, yeah by, by man. man yes or we should be better we should probably kenya should be better than that mm. that has been done by man mankind <laughs> <laughs> uh whereby we tend to segregate um there's some so-called pink stories as they used to be called or soft stories but i think the world has like take for example finland which is another country that's led by women new zealand much of scandinavia where the the whole idea of sexism is not something that is is current i think in those markets they really are, have have uh, embraced female voices much more than anywhere else so i don't think it's a global problem and it's not even uh, that no, i'm, I'm com- talking about i'm talking about mainly the newsroom because even yeah. if you look at the media i'm talking about the media not political not political uh, not when it comes to to governance in the political circles but i'm talking about uh, the media generally the media worldwide oh you find that i think we should actually even say like the media are men we should probably That's have what a book like that. That's how saying man not yeah. mankind yeah, I the meant media men are men you know <laughs> mm. because it's a, it's a it's a global problem in as much as even in that new zealand you'll find that okay fine the leadership is is uh, all female but actually the newsroom still are like that you know it is something that we need to change but i want what i keep on wondering is like okay fine this is one of the problems of kenyan media do we have do we make this many mistakes that are always pointed out because we don't have enough women in the newsroom or because we don't have enough women in media could it can it be better with more women or should we actually just change the whole overhaul the whole media ecosystem and say like okay fine you people these are the rules and this is what you have to follow and this is how we have to uh, manage our craft because this brown journalism problem that you mentioned all of us when it comes to being condemned we are condemned all of us men women right. you know so how do we sort out this bigger problem as a media then now these other ones we should actually work with them okay fine we have this good image now so inside here let's fight all these problems that we have i think female rep- representation is definitely part of the problem and that one is so easily fixable because there are so many qualified women journalists when it comes to the rest of it um or even women leadership think about the countries that handled the covid-19 pandemic the best many of them are led by women so there's something to be said of female leadership but in terms of how we solve our press or media problem in this country that's a long conversation and i think because of convergence by which i mean we're trying to move trying to tie the traditional space with the digital space we might find better ways of working and become more efficient and that might be the first step towards creating a better oiled machine and kind of removing all these bottlenecks that sometimes make the media as a whole look really bad no it would be very unfair for us to to finish this uh this episode or this conversation without touching oh. much more on digitization right and probably how you you said that it has disrupted the media space and stuff like that i want to believe that a good journalist should be a good journalist at any level you know 
if you're a good journalist, then actually you should have the mental capacity, as you said, that they're held to a higher standard. You're supposed to be a thinker. You should actually move seamlessly with the times and move from this legacy media kind of thinking to digital space because that's where everybody is going. It, it can't be seamless. You have to I mean, upskill. As a, as yeah. That's what I mean. Like you should be able to identify that actually this is where the world is going and you upscale. But if you decide like, this is a, probably a personal decision because there are those people who've actually worked in this legacy media or this old media. And that's why I don't buy this thing like, oh, digital can only be understood by young people. No, because they are actually old people who run some of these big digital, digital comp- digitization or digital companies or this digital, digital media spaces, you see. So I think this need for that mental, for that change. Mental switch, right. Mental switch at the individual level. Yes, but then remember you're working within these monolith media houses who also move very slowly when but it comes to monolith, change. But this monolith, it's made by people. Yes, but the structure, the structure of the media house perhaps has not given people much gap until now to transition because of COVID-19. We just shifted like that from uh, from physical to online in terms of how we communicated, right? So that's when the, the, the media houses realized they had to put things in place to enable that transition. Possibly, probably, in fact, it's actually true to say that many of the journalists were all already uh, content creating outside of the structure. So they had already moved, but the media houses themselves need to create an environment where that transition and that upskilling is enabled. It can't just be spontaneous. Yeah, but also actually, yes, that, that one has to happen. But I think um, we cannot blame uh, the Kenyan media only for being slow. I mean, probably they're slow for, for, for getting stuck. Probably they're changing slowly things because there's so many things that have actually, even in this digital space, there's so many things that have changed faster in other countries and they've not done that here. So that brings us to the same thing like we don't operate in a vacuum that we are in this insular place as a media. We operate in a society. So whatever affects people out there, the flow of information or the flow of resources the way it affects other people out there is also affects the media. Yes, the media has its shortcomings, but 75% of the time, (laughs) can I increase it to 80? We're doing just fine. So be easy on the media because we are at the end of the day, we need one another. You cannot be saying like, I don't consume Kenyan media, but at the same time say like, oh, they did not publish this thing. How did you know if you don't consume it? I cannot spend my money on Kenyan media because... I get better service from New York Times and all that. And then at the same time say, oh, the Kenyan media is not doing this. But at the same you don't want to spend your money on it, but you want it to do some other things that you see other media houses where people spend their money on do. So I think, yes, media has shortcomings. Media is moving forward, but the media houses is not filled with idiots. And I think... You agree with me, Julie? I agree with you 100% of this time that it's not filled with idiots. There are very many stellar professionals who are doing their job right, and we just need to make sure that we carry along the stragglers, (laughs) as we were told by our guest last week. Uh, Is that a good place to end? I think so. Of course, it's an ongoing conversation, as are all of our conversations, but I think we've managed to have, have a good one this time. Okay, fine. My name is Clay Muganda. Julie Masiga. Until next time. Oh, you guys have a good week ahead. Hey.